0: This episode of the New Hampshire Business Show is sponsored by Everlasting Capital. If you're a small business and you need money and a bank won't give it to you, Everlasting Capital is here to help. In as quickly as a couple of days, you can have the funding your business needs for new equipment or anything else you can need the capital for. So submit your application today and see how they can help you out. Hello everyone and welcome back to New Hampshire Business Show. My name is Chris Boshana and today... We are here with Bernice Vandenberg and Michael Fairbrother of Moonlight Meadery. How's it going? Great.
1: Great. Thank you for having us on the show.
0: Absolutely. So let's jump in. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, yourselves and the meadery. You
2: want to leave? Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So my name's Michael. Um, I've been homebrewing since 1995, um, which meant I could legally make beer, mead, and cider uh, at my house here in Londonderry, New Hampshire. Uh, We went commercial back in 2010 uh, previously, I was an executive in a software engineering company. Um, over the last nine years, uh, we've grown our little business quite a lot. Uh, we're still a small family-run shop. Uh, we produce it all here in Londonderry, New Hampshire, and um, having a lot of fun working hard and trying to live the American dream. Yeah.
1: And uh, both Michael and I come from a software background, um, as he said, but he worked his way up management. Um, before we started the business so how we got into this business was he was no longer writing software but he was managing people
2: yeah
1: not a happy man (laughs) but it was the money job yeah and um, to fill that creativity void was what led him down the home brewing path and somebody gave him a sizer which is an apple cider mead and he was wowed and started making recipes entering competitions winning competitions Um, and then he won first place and best of show with desire which is our flagship It's a blueberry, blackcurrant, black cherry mead. And Mm. at that point he was like, hmm, I think I've got something here. Because here's what would happen. Every time we went to a homebrew party, every time he took out a bottle of his beer and he makes awesome beer, um, his buddies would hang around. Every time uh, he took out a bottle of mead, every woman in the room was knocking someone over to get to that bottle. And he was like, hmm, I think there's a business in this. So that's that's what started us down the path of
2: uh, making mead. Yeah, we've uh, entered international competitions over the last nine years, and almost every single one of them, we've taken all the medals from. Oh. So chasing our desire to um, be entrepreneurs and working hard to grow our business, it's been a, a lot of learning, a lot of mistakes, and um, a lot of lessons learned the hard way. But you know, we get up every day and come to work and see customers coming through our tasting room.
0: Yeah, definitely. So before you get any further on this. Um, I've done one interview with Ancient Fire, I wanna say. So yes. for the audience, most of them probably won't know. Uh, let's talk to them about what, what is, cause craft breweries are huge here. Sure. So let's talk about like what is mead and then like some of the difference between like a normal brewery, what you guys do, you sure. know, some of those things. So a
2: lot we get asked a lot of questions about what actually is mead. Mm-hmm. So similar to how you make cider from apples, you make wine from grapes, you make beer from grain, you make mead from honey mm-hmm. so honey is the primary fermentable ingredient in the batches of mead that we make now you can add spices to your meads you can add fruit and we ferment our fruit and honey together uh, we make one that's pretty much world-famous called Kurtz apple pie and that's made with uh, the local apples that we get and uh, we dilute the honey with the apple cider after fermentation I add Vietnamese cinnamon and Madagascar bourbon vanilla so it is a very similar process to making beer, mm-hmm. except for we don't have to cook the ingredients. So we don't, we don't um, basically we use water. So our water comes from uh, Manchester and we dilute the honey with that. We never want to cook the honey um, because honey's got a lot of natural enzymes in there. So we warm the honey up to about 80 degrees, which is about hive temperature so that we can move it into our mixing tanks. Uh, Usually our meads are a little stronger, uh, around 14% ABV, so alcohol by volume. And that's a little closer to your typical wines um, versus a beer might be as low as 3%, upwards of six or seven, sometimes 11%, but that's probably a more specialty beer.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I, I love this conversation. Uh, when you're using normal, well, normal, no, natural products, do you, um, do you ever run into an issue of just consistency of the flavor? Because I know it's sure. probably, I, because even with wine, some people like, oh, this year was fantastic, so you, there's a little bit of a change depending on the ingredient. Or
2: yeah. So the the question about consistency is is a really interesting one, yeah. and what I try to describe to customers. It's like imagine if I was an artist and I was trying to paint a picture, mm-hmm. and the wind may be blowing one way one day and it may not yeah. come out the same. And so when I make mead, I'm trying to make art in a glass. So I'm trying to really make it taste amazing and look and smell amazing. Yeah. But I want it to be the best I can make at any given point in time. And so I do not try to make a consistent batch every single time. I mean, I have the ballpark of the same ingredients mm-hmm. and the same f- structure, but it's all got to do with how the water tastes that day, how the honeys tasting yeah. and the fruits, so that I can control all that. Because I really create the flavors in my head of where I want the end mead to be, mm-hmm. and that's how I know where I'm going while I go through the whole process. And the typical fermentation and aging time that we have is around three months per batch.
0: Okay.
2: Now, so we have some that are aging for upwards of 25 to 30 years, but you know, we have some that we've uh, released that have been six years in oak barrels, Etc. So we've, we've really, you know, we have a really wide, diverse arrangement. Yeah. And a lot of people think if you're making a mead or a beverage from honey, it's going to be sweet. Well, that's not true. So you, we can make what Bernice likes to call a shock your sauce <coughs> um, meads that are bone dry, yeah. have great tannin structure from the um, fruits that we might use to give a little bit more wine like <coughs> characteristics. And we see a lot of customers come through our tasting room. And they usually tend to buy toward the sweeter ones, but they definitely enjoy the uh, diverse range of, uh, of product. Cool. So, um, the ciders that we make, um, they have a, uh, the apples change based on the time of year I buy the apples. So, if you think of um, trying to make cider year round, and we're using fresh <coughs> fresh apple juice, so we, we have to bring in that cider from sometimes as far away as uh, Seattle, Washington, or Washington State. Um, but I really tried to give that that home um, home New England flavor <coughs> to that cider. Apples change based on time of year, based on w- w- uh, weather condition. So the apples that we might get from Sunny Crest Farm here in Londonderry may taste different than they do the previous year. Yeah. Even if it's the exact same blend. So what I have to do as a, the master of fermentation at Moonlight Meadery and Hidden Moon Brewing Company. Is be able to taste that and understand where do I want to go with this batch. Mm-hmm. So I can't like make it ahead of time. I got to know when the ingredients come in, what they taste like. And I can build a frame set in my mind of where I want to take things and know pretty much we're going to run it through this process. Yeah. But we can change the amount of time that we age it at the end. Uh, we like to age our meads in American aged uh, oak fooders. So a fooder is this really really big barrel. So yeah. I'm talking 3,200 gallons oh. each. So they're over 12 feet tall, 8 feet across, uh, made from um, white oak out of uh, the Ozarks. And I cared so much about these barrels, I went to see the, f- um, the lumber yard where they were aged. <laughs> Bless you. Uh, so <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's a craft. And by being a craft, it means there is room for variability. And that's what I think really makes it great. Mm-hmm. Because if you make things taste exactly the same every single time, that gets you towards Wonder Bread or towards some of those mass-produced uh, beverages. Yeah,
0: you're, you're, I guess you're more traditional beer, like you'd, you, any major brewery, you kind of expect a certain taste every time because it's wheat.
2: Sure, <laughs> and, 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 and that's what really people do want that and mm-hmm. they strive, so my job is to really strive to make it taste amazing. Yeah.
1: The other thing too is if you think about um, your natural products. Um, if uh, your, your honey is never going to be quite the same either, you can have the same bees in the same beehive in the same orchard. You harvest the honey at different times, your honey is going to be different. Mm-hmm. So, same thing with seasonal fruit. Yeah. Depends on the climate, the weather. Um, so, there is definitely some variability. Yeah, it's really
0: cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I think that's what I like the most about, especially when you start to get onto like, the craft side, is it changes a lot. And like you do your best, but there's some. There's a lot of play there, and it's cool because sometimes you might have it and you're like, oh, this is good. And you have it again, you're like, that was really
2: good. (laughs) (laughs) And we've been playing around with some really small batches of late as well. So um, five gallon sizes, which we haven't really done in a long time. Yeah. But I'm playing around with flavors I haven't really played with before, or really trying to push the envelope. Mm -hmm. Like we're coming out with a decadence series where we have a cranberry, sorry, cherry decadence and a raspberry decadence. There's over two and a half pounds of cacao nibs in each five gallon batch. Yeah. It tastes like a chocolate-covered cherry or a chocolate-covered raspberry. That's pretty cool. Yeah, very excited about those.
0: Yeah, I like that. And it's fun when you mention the um, essentially the lead time because I know in a lot of wineries when you start one, you under you have to understand in the first few years you're gonna make no money, and eventually you get product. As it starts circulating, so it's kind of fun to have some that are like, "Yeah, it's gonna take me six years before this one gets out," <laughs> but you have some that are a little shorter, and maybe you know, that'll help.
2: Yeah, we, we're um, we're still learning how to um, to dance that dance, on yeah. how to make money. Uh, it's <laughs> not always been easy. Uh, we've had our ups and downs and uh, curveballs thrown at us uh, from all angles. Yeah. But, um, the one thing I'm never gonna do is give up. Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: right. And we're not like a grape winery where we're waiting for harvest every year mm-hmm. so what works in our favor is that we can turn our tanks year round.
0: yeah
1: which, which is good for cash flow for a small business yeah. um, but that sometimes means we're making flavors out of season yeah. so whereas we like to use the fresh fruit sometimes we might have to use puree or juice because we might be making that particular batch out of season which comes back to the variability yeah
0: yeah definitely you have to talk storage, too, because I'm assuming you have to store all this stuff. Yeah, we, so have, just, we really
2: have liquid assets. Yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Londonderry awesome. strong, and I got liquid. <laughs> oh, that's too good.
0: Um, yeah, so let's talk about the business stuff, because you have, so we talked about that, but your actual facilities here in
2: Londonderry. Sure. We have a commercially zoned um, 6,000 square feet of warehouse. Okay. Uh, we have two tasting rooms in that facility. Uh, so that we can basically hold overflow from on the weekends we get pretty busy. Yeah. see about 10,000 customers a year through our tasting room. Yeah. Uh, the new addition or the expansion of the I-93 has really helped to get us a little more exposure because yeah. uh, we're right next to the highway. Okay. Um, but what really matters in a facility like where we are is the tank. You know the sanitation, the cleanliness of the environment and you know how clean we just became today. Uh, for the second year in a row, certified organic for two of the meads that we make. Uh, we're the only winery in the state of New Hampshire that is certified organic. Um, and currently with the largest producing winery. That is true. <coughs> so we sell to approximately 30 states now um, across see. the United States. Mm-hmm. export to Australia, Japan, Hong Kong, and Canada. Wow. So, and we're in discussions right now with Puerto Rico, Belgium, Belgium and Poland. Poland. Oh,
0: wow. That's, that's impressive. Yeah, you guys are a of impressive.
2: Yeah, we've done, um, we've really tried to give back a lot yeah. to the homebrewing community. So as a lifetime member of the American Homebrewers Association, I really feel it's my my duty to share the information I've gained and learned and, yeah. and help. I've taught at the Robert Mundavi Institute at UC Davis three years, <laughs> and helping other mead makers become better at their craft. Because why do I want somebody else to be better at what they do? the same reason I try to make the best mead possible. If a customer tries a bad mead, they may not ever try right. mead again. Yeah. So that's why, you know, we're friends with the folks at Ancient Fire and Sap House Meadery up in Ossipee. You know, it's a they are my colleagues and not my competition. Okay.
1: Yeah, and it's great to come from that home brewing community because we don't reinvent the wheel. It's a very collaborative space to yeah. come from. Um, whereas other industries perhaps are not where they have to fight to differentiate themselves. Yeah. Um, I think we enjoy and appreciate that collaboration.
2: And, and if you think about it like an art, the artistry of, of each one of us in the industry is different. Yeah. It can't be the same. Yeah.
0: Like the, yeah, I don't know much about it, but I'm assuming like, from here to Ossipe the fruits are probably different. There's probably a whole lot of variables that...
2: Uh, and we all really choose different, some different difference? paths, too. Yeah. So, you know, um, friends up at um, Sap House Meadery use more local ingredients um, where we're trying to be able to source a significant volume of ingredients to, to make a thousand gallon batch. So you have to imagine if we're making a thousand gallon batch of mead we need six thousand pounds of blueberries. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. if when we're done we have six thousand pounds of alcohol-laden blueberries yeah. that we take to the pig farm down the road. Yeah. You know what those pigs do with blueberries? Yeah. They enjoy them. Yeah, I bet.
1: (laughs) We say California has happy cows. Apparently, we have happy pigs. (laughs) That's pretty funny.
0: (laughs) So, where are you looking to take everything? Because I know we had discussed this a little bit last time you were in, and uh, there's, you know, governmental issues of moving sites and this whole thing, but like, what's your vision for? So
2: the, the ultimate vision is a company that's going to last beyond my lifetime. Mm. So something that I can hand off to the next generation or maybe employees to, to manage and carry forward. It takes a lot of work to get there. Mm. Um, we personally have goals of wanting to have our own farm site, so a farm to table or a beehive to bistro uh, type of location where you know we could either complement like um, a Max Orchard or you know have something similar. Um, it's a lot of work and we're trying to do the, the, the footwork now to plan for that kind of success yeah. now what I've learned through business over the last several years is it may seem like we could just do something but that's not how easy things work
1: yeah <laughs> That's true no I, I, I agree with with the vision I mean we would just love to have that uh, London dairy apple orchard feel uh, yeah. that New Hampshire um, comfortable farm-to-table type of environment where you come and you can see the entire process from beginning to end. Yeah. So that, that's the vision.
2: Yeah, we've, we've, we really value the experience we provide to customers because you can walk in to see a, a brewery or a winery and see tanks, but that's not our story. Yeah. So we've really worked hard to build a way to talk and teach each one of our employees how to talk and share that experience. Because imagine when you go to Disney World and you got your little kids running around and you'll walk out of there and you're feeling a little broke and you're <laughs> like, wow, the family's happy. Yeah, It was the experience is what you enjoyed. Yeah. right? And so that's part of it for me, which is, you know, to make sure that we're giving a really good experience to people that come in and visit and be part of our story. Yeah. Right. And we
1: like to <clears throat> incorporate um, the history of the company and um, we love it when we can inspire people because people come on our tours and they're so inspired with the sort of garage to success story yeah. um, and it inspires other entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. um, so that's always rewarding for us um, we talk about the history of mead we talk about the honeybees and the plaque facing the honeybees yeah. so we really try to throw all of that sort of inspiration creativity you know strap yourself up by your bootstraps um, and then we throw in sort of that educational piece at the end. And so I think um, we have a very high rate of approval, and we have a very high rate of return customers, so we must be doing a good job.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, return customers usually indicate something.
2: <laughs> yeah, we've sold over a million bottles and cans over the last nine years. Oh, wow. So that's, the, I mean, it's not like i count them every day. Oh, they we're a million and one, but, you know, when, when we tipped over the number, because I was kind of watching it from a few years prior, Yeah. they're like, oh, this is actually going to happen. When yeah. it happened, I didn't even pay attention.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a
1: little that. busy these days. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, That's pretty good. Um, so do you have anything coming up that you want the audience to know about? I don't know, uh, new products that are sure. released,
2: things you want to see? So fall is coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a mead that we more or less released last year, but it's called No Need to Argue. It's a cranberry mead. Um, the State Liquor Commission has just picked that up, and so you can ask for it at any one of the state stores. It's got a beautiful tart cranberry note to it to balance off that honey in the background. Um, not too sweet, not too tart, but just mm-hmm. really right on top. And that became our number one bestseller over the three months we had it in inventory.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. And we're trying to work on a new beer. Um, we keep saying that, but. Um, <laughs> My Russian Imperial recipe has gone on to win a gold medal at the San Diego, not San Diego, sorry, the uh, International Mazer Cup. So we did a collaboration with Smog City in California Mm -hmm. and um, that mead or beer, braggot. Braggot is a beer and mead combination. Hmm. So how we're legally allowed to make it is the brewery (laughs) brews the beer and we add the honey and then we get to the finishing. Um, and then it has this uh, just amazing floral character that really shines. That's pretty cool. I
1: think it's one of the best things he's ever made. Yeah. Um,
2: and rumor has it that Andy Day at Cask and Vine has a keg still sitting in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for it. Yeah.
1: And uh, the name Hidden Brewery, I just want to throw in—I <laughs> mean Hidden Moon Brewing. Sorry. Is um, a—it's uh, it's kind of like a joke because um, we can't technically we're classified as a winery mm-hmm. um, so we can't make any malt products on premise okay. which is why we have to basically gypsy brew with another brewer um, to get the product done but um, it's a little play on words because the brewery so hidden it doesn't exist yeah so that's just like a little joke
2: yeah. <laughs> there's legal ways around it we've been very creative and trying to find solutions yeah. to the problems that get placed in front of us yeah okay. That's pretty cool. So thank you guys so much for coming. Oh, this my has pleasure. been great.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us.
2: Absolutely.
0: Definitely, guys, check it out. Um, I Every time I get a chance to visit like a major it's phenomenal. So definitely go out there because everyone likes to get drunk at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we I'm do tours <laughs> and
1: Tasting seven days a week, so come on by and visit us. You don't right. need a reservation. <laughs>
0: Outstanding. Okay, thank you guys so much for watching, and I will see you next time. Cheers.
1: Cheers.